Hey there, folks. This is Rob Woods, and welcome to episode 29 of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. This is the show for anyone who works in charity fundraising and who wants ideas for how to raise more money, enjoy their job, and make a bigger difference, even during the coronavirus pandemic. And in today's episode, if you are a major donor fundraiser or you work in trust fundraising or corporate fundraising, or you're a manager of a fundraising team and you look after people who are doing those kinds of fundraising, I hope you're going to find today's episode really helpful because today we're looking at a particular tactic that has been so helpful for the people who are in the Bright Spot Major Gifts Mastery Programme and Corporate Partnerships Mastery Programme. Uh, they graduated from their six-month programme just last week. By the way, shout out to everyone who just graduated. Congratulations on the wonderful progress you've made. Uh, but for the purposes of today's podcast, I was reflecting on one of the things that all of the people on those programmes have clearly got better at and that has, in due course, helped them to increase income. And it's the subject of getting more conversations with people who care about your cause, people or indeed companies who care about your cause. Uh, so I wanted to do a, a podcast episode on that subject because um, some of the people in these programs have, have done so well and they've got some really creative, ingenious techniques they shared through the program of how they've managed to improve their success in that area and in due course, how it's helped their financial results as well. So that's the topic of the episode. If you have not yet experienced the Major Donor Mastery Programme or the Corporate Partnerships Mastery Programme, we've just launched those programmes. The early bird discount is still available. The programmes will start uh, in early October and they'll run for six months from October 2020. So do check out my website, Brightspot fundraising.co.uk and go to the services page to find out more about either of those if you're interested but for today we're going to look at how can you possibly get more conversations per month with people who care about your cause than you normally would i hope you're going to find it really helpful this episode of the fundraising bright spots podcast is brought to you by bright spot mastery programs so if you need to increase income in corporate partnerships or major donor and trust fundraising, these programmes will help. As well as the advanced strategies you learn on the training days, you receive one-to-one -one coaching to help you put those powerful techniques into practice. To find out more about the Corporate Mastery and Major Gifts Mastery programmes, head over to brightspotfundraising.co.uk. I wanted to start the content for this episode by talking about a fascinating book by John Kay called Obliquity. And if you've not encountered this book before, but you just want to check out John's ideas, you could also check out the TED talk that he's done. And I'll put a link to that in the episode notes on my website. But he starts his TED talk by asking his audience, where is the Pacific Ocean in relation to the Atlantic Ocean? And most people, either from their instinctive geography knowledge or from looking at a map, would agree that the Pacific Ocean lies to the west of the Atlantic Ocean. And then he asks, so logically, what do you think would be the easiest way to travel from the Atlantic to the Pacific? And if you would say to travel due west, then on a map, he shows you that in practice, this is not actually the best route. What you find is that if you want to travel most easily from the Atlantic to the Pacific, 
you would take the route of the Panama Canal. And by taking that relatively short route, you end up in the Pacific Ocean, actually 30 miles due east of where you had started out. And he shares this as an example of whereby sometimes in life, the solution to a problem is not achieved by taking the most direct and obvious seeming solution. Similarly, he talks about when NASA wanted to send a rocket to Mercury, if they had just pointed it directly at Mercury, it wouldn't have worked because of the way the um, gravitational pull of various planets would have thrown it completely off course. So to achieve that objective, again, they needed to choose an indirect route, a seemingly indirect route, which in due course, because they worked it out carefully, would end up taking their rocket into orbit of the planet Mercury. Actually, most of John Kay's work isn't about studying geography uh, or, or interplanetary travel. It's about studying success in business. And the main themes in his book, Obliquity, are about how very often in business and in life, to achieve a particular objective, it's helpful to not necessarily take the most direct seeming solution, but to choose an intelligent, indirect one which will help to get you to your desired goal more easily. And in the subject of my corporate mastery program and major gifts mastery program, um, I really like this idea. And very early in those programs, I talk about a conversation I once had with someone who was a very successful salesperson at a luxury car company and how she told me that she didn't have her sales team focusing above all on trying to sell cars. She had them focusing on how to book more test drives with people who could be interested in her cars. Um, and when I talk about this idea with the groups, most people, when they give it some thought, they can see how day in, day out, trying to get more test drives actually tends to be less stressful and more effective than trying day in, day out to sell cars. Apart from anything else, it brings out more creativity and it makes you less stressed because it's a much easier thing to do to influence someone and encourage them that it might be in their interests to try a nice test drive. That feels easier to our psychology for most of us than getting up in the morning and thinking, how can I persuade someone to buy a car? Interestingly, we find, oh, it, it's my opinion, that the people who are focusing on test drives, not selling cars, paradoxically, will not only have a a happier and less stressful week, they'll even end up selling more cars than the people who are trying to sell cars as their number one objective. So I think this example does fit in with that oblique goal uh, uh, philosophy that John Kay talks about in his book and his TED talk. Um, uh, in Then in the course, when I say what is our equivalent as relationship fundraisers, high value relationship fundraisers, what's our equivalent to test drives? And I suggest uh, that in our world, the equivalent is, um, well, before the pandemic, I would have said it's having a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, an informal conversation with one of our supporters or a company that could be interested. That is our equivalent of a test drive. And now I would say it's a virtual cup of coffee even is the thing that is useful to focus on. In fact, uh, on this podcast, in an earlier episode, when I talked to the brilliant fundraiser, Linda Harwood Compton, and I said, and this was, I think, late March, early April, I said, you can't meet your supporters now. So what's going to be the thrust of how you work for the next few months? She said, it's very simple. 
I have a simple, clear objective, uh, and that is to get more virtual cups of coffee with supporters who care about my cause. And that's, uh, again, if you listen to that podcast, you'll hear she's got some fabulous results by pursuing the going for more conversations route rather than going for some money route. On one level, this is really obvious. On another, the reason we need to talk about it and get our heads clear on it is because it's highly likely that your organisation does not cherish the number of conversations you have with your supporters very highly. It's much more likely that they're sending you signals that you need to go and get money. It's also likely that relatively often they even send you a spreadsheet that asks you, how many cars have you sold? Or in our world, how much money have you brought in? How much money do you intend to bring in? So however much we might talk about the need to be donor focused and relationship focused as a key value in good fundraising, in practice, for most organizations, the strongest signal that a fundraiser is receiving is, where's the money? How can you get do something today to get more money? That's the signal we're receiving rather than valuing more highly the test drives or the cups of coffee or the virtual cups of coffee. And so why is it that deliberately focusing more of your attention on having more conversations with your supporters than you normally would? Why is it that that will help you increase income for your charity? Well, at one level, I think it's just common sense that if you can imagine two fundraisers and one of them is managing to talk to four or five of their supporters or likely companies per month, and another is managing to talk to twice that, nine or 10 per month, all things being equal, the person having more of those conversations, it it just is likely to to turn into more support because some of those people who care are going to want to actually support or partner you in more depth. Secondly, it's because even though I wholly agree that this is still not a simple fundraising problem to solve, especially if those supporters are busy or some of those companies don't even know you yet, I know that it's not necessarily easy to get these conversations going. But I have found that it is absolutely solvable when you know that that's an important problem to solve and you bring more of your energy, your courage and your problem solving focus to the solving of that problem. We have found over the years that many answers present themselves. But even if it is solvable, I wholly agree we still often benefit from some ideas or inspiration for how we might go about getting more conversations with people who could care about our cause. One of the answers is blunt to say, but not always easy to do. And we go into it in great depth in episode 19 of this podcast, when I'm talking to Ben Swart. uh, And uh, the gist of the advice we're talking through there was just pick up the phone. Clearly, this is impossible uh, on the whole for people who are not yet supporting your cause. But in that earlier episode, we did talked about during the pandemic, picking up the phone to anyone who has ever cared about your cause, or you had been talking to companies you had been talking to so far, picking up the phone and asking how they were doing and allowing them to ask how you're doing. Um, that was the key idea. We go into a lot more depth. Uh, and if you haven't already heard that episode, please do listen to it because the way Ben talks about it and the examples he brings we've heard have had the effect of putting more fire in the belly, giving more courage and confidence to people to be braver in that respect. So by all means, check that out. And I think of all the success stories we've heard through the mastery programs in the last few months, I would say this is a key theme in that when people are feeling braver and more confident, they have picked up the phone more um, 
in episode 27 when I was talking to, to Stevie uh, Nicholson from the Corporate Mastery Programme. She said she taught this idea on to um, some people in her team at Diabetes UK. And one of the examples of success stories that came out of that was was her colleague who who made more of those calls and one of those calls to a previous corporate supporter just a couple of months ago, it led to a new partnership worth £5,000. And just last week, there's someone on the Major Gifts Mastery Programme who talked about calls she proactively made to donors who were giving her charity, it's quite a small charity, but some donors who were giving £40 per month. For some of those, it was just a nice chat, didn't lead to any obvious financial result. But for one of them, um, he immediately chose to give more uh, and upped his level of gift to £100 a month. And it turns out he he cares so much about the cause that he's proactively stepped forward and he's helping in other ways, in particular, helping in the, the finding and recruiting of other supporters to help support her cause. And uh, she was very um, persuasive when she said she just, she thinks how this person was there as a giver of £40 per month on her database. Had she not called him, he would still be that. But because she did call him, she's found this, you know, what she called one of her best ever supporters now who's doing all this extra stuff. And it was all because she picked up the phone and made that extra call. However, maybe an effect of listening to this episode might help you a little with that to be braver. It's still not easy, but I hope we might have that effect for you. But also on this episode, I want just to expand the, the way ways we look at this challenge of how to get more conversations and give you just some slightly different creative ideas on how you might solve it, which are beyond just pick up the phone. So then in addition to being just more proactive, more brave in picking up the phone and calling someone without necessarily scheduling that call in advance, what else can you do? For the rest of the episode, I want to share six or seven ideas, which I like that I've observed in the people on my mastery programs. So the first of those uh, really comes from Linda Harwood Compton. It's obvious in a way, but she does it brilliantly. And she rarely calls her supporters out of the blue. She would rather them be able to choose how and when they want to talk to her. But she's really clear that what she's seeking is a conversation, not money. And the way she goes about it is a range of different channels by which she seeks to schedule that chance to talk. Uh, For instance, she has WhatsApp groups for people who support different uh, programs at her charity, Animals Asia. And they are regularly in little conversations via WhatsApp. So sometimes via WhatsApp or just by texting them, she'll request a chance to chat properly. And she finds that it's incredibly successful Um, with those supporters she already knows in securing a new chance to chat on the phone. Idea two, create and organise inspiring events which your supporters are likely to want to come to, which do then energise and inspire them about your cause, and at which the main ask is not for money, but is to request a follow-up conversation. So that might sound obvious, but many of the charities I'm aware of right now are they're either just organizing a, a webinar or some kind of virtual Zoom event and it's a stewardship piece, but there's no particular invitation for you to set up a follow up conversation with us, or they're doing that kind of event and they're overtly asking. So the event is designed to secure money. What I'm saying here is many of the people on my mastery programs have secured more of these conversations or virtual test drives 
because the virtual event they organized was so inspiring and crucially had the objective of making it easy for people to say, yes, please, I want a follow-up conversation with you. If you did listen to episode 20 of this podcast, that broadly is the strategy that Linda Harwood-Compton is talking about that's worked so well for Animals Asia. And then the third idea I really like is because it's so different, that's one of the reasons I like it, but incredibly effective. It's been carried out by an excellent fundraiser called Neil, who has, again, just graduated from the Major Gifts Mastery Programme. He works for a charity called Earthwatch. And his challenge this year has been, how can he get back in touch with and, and rekindle communication relationship with the hundreds of supporters of his charity who had done an expedition with Earthwatch years ago, but who, for various reasons, had not heard much from the charity since 2014. And so what he decided to do before the pandemic, he was planning to invite them for coffee to hear their story, find out more with the 50th anniversary of the charity coming up next year. But since the pandemic hit, he wasn't able to do that. So he decided to write them all a letter, inviting them to a virtual conversation, a one on one Zoom call in which they would have a chance to share their story of what happened for them on the expedition and whether or not on how it had changed their life, what effect it had had. He wrote letters to 650 of those supporters and um, more than 100 people replied. Uh, and that, that means he's ended up having more than 70 conversations, with one-on-one conversations with people who have already experienced and care about his charity. In those conversations, he's heard some really wonderful stories of how uh, the experience of, of going on that trip with Earthwatch did shape people's lives and has helped them to become much more environmentally conscious and to do more and more environmentally proactive and environmentally friendly activities since the expedition. And he's packaging up the best 50 of those stories as part of the communication plan and the celebration for the charity next year. And for instance, it's, there are plans to t- turn those best 50 stories into a book as well. So that's a, a completely different approach of, of using letters to secure and achieve uh, more conversations with people who care about your cause. Also picks up on another important theme in fundraising, which is finding the great stories, which in many ways can help you as a fundraiser. But also what Neil has managed to do is achieve those conversations, which can only help the relationships he's building with his supporters. Then my fourth idea is how could you make uh, the focusing on this goal of more conversations with our supporters How could you make that uh, more fun, more enjoyable, more easy to focus on? Or how could you make a game of it? And one of my favourite examples of this was a brilliant fundraiser called Dan McNally, who two or three years ago, he was on one of my programmes and he's a member of our Bright Spot Club. And what he decided to do was to take this idea of test drive focus or coffee focus and create a game that would make it easier and more encouraging for his, his team of community fundraisers. He was then at British Heart Foundation to achieve that, and he created this concept called Cuppa and Conversation Bingo with 25 squares on it. And in the month of August, uh, everyone in the team was encouraged to try and tick off as many of those squares as possible. And in each of the squares was a different hook or reason for why or how a supporter might meet you for a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. 
be it uh, an outdoor meeting or a walk and talk meeting or, or a meeting in the coolest independent coffee shop in town or a meeting to receive a proactive thank you or a, a, a meeting to receive a demonstration on the safety equipment. All these different um, reasons or methods were in the 25 square grid um, without going into lots of detail here because I've written it up elsewhere. Um, the project was hugely successful, especially in lifting people's morale because it did cause people to go out, get out the door and get an average of 12 meetings a month where normally some of, many of those people had been achieving far fewer than that. And also income went up and when they tracked back several months later, income that was raised through these extra proactive meetings for that large charity, that income totaled around £400,000. If you'd like to read up more on that, I'll put a link to my blog on this subject in the episode notes on my Fundraising Bright Spots website. But for now, the idea is how could you create some kind of game, even just for a short period, that makes it easier for you or your team to focus on this oblique goal rather than chasing the money. Um, the other thing I like about this fourth idea is it. Dan said to me, just he realised just how often it can be the smallest thing, the smallest shift or smallest extra hook or nudge that actually causes someone to end up saying yes to a meeting, and um, that leads me on to the next idea. Really, in the mastery programmes, sometimes I tell the story. Um, of what apparently happened in the history of Apple, the company. And apparently in the late 70s or early 80s, when Steve Jobs um, was invited back into the company, he'd, he had been uh, sacked and then he was invited back in to save the company. Um, and the key way he turned around the fortunes of that company was to turn around the sales of the Apple Mac. And um, I had always presumed that the shift that caused the computer to sell again was something very profound and there's some great technical improvement in the way that the Apple Mac worked. But the version that I heard as to how he did it was that the, the, the workings of the computer actually was very similar, but that what caused it to sell so brilliantly after he came back in was more of a style thing uh, because when he came back in, uh, the, the new Mac... Uh, was no longer beige uh, or grey, but uh, it was funky colours like lime green and pink and orange. And it was curvier rather than square. And uh, the clever bit about that is he had made a shift to make the, the product appeal to this key target market who were more creative and design types who would really value those innovations. So what's the point of this story? Um, although in many ways it's brilliant, to me, I think it's relatively easier to make those kinds of shifts than the old, the deep programming technical things under the, the bonnet of the computer, so to speak. And I told this story to some people on my mastery program a couple of years ago, and a fabulous fundraiser called Gail at a charity called Cats Protection. She took that idea. Uh, and then when she next came back to the mastery program, she was smiling because she'd been getting a some really good results in terms of people responding to her emails and wanting to talk to her. And um, when I asked her what she'd done, she said broadly she'd applied this, this thing that Jobs had done is, is there a small shift which would make um, my emails or conversations with me more appealing 
to my target customer. Uh, and she got the brilliant idea of just including a picture of herself with her two lovely cats in her in all of her emails to her supporters. And I expect you can see that for her kind of charity and the supporters of cat protection, you can see how that worked so well uh, and her response rates went up. So idea five then is, uh, based on the Steve Jobs story, is there some relatively small shift you could put to do with what, what titles you are using in your emails or the time of day you're making phone calls or the title of your inspiring virtual event? Sometimes there are small shifts in any of our existing tactics which can actually have quite a profound effect on the results we're getting in people wanting to talk to us. Then the sixth idea is um, the brilliant fundraiser called Leanne in our current program. Um, and I love this one. It, it won't work for people who are not supporting you, but she found that rather than sending people an email to request a conversation, if she sent them a calendar invite, uh, she noticed that most of her supporters were just accepting that um, invitation to chat at that time, or they were suggesting a different time and um, making the invitation via the calendar invite rather than via email or text or anything else had the best results of all in her experience. So if I were to sum up the ideas I've been talking about today, the first and I think the most important is to get your head around the fact that following the correct oblique goal usually helps you get what you really want, which is the money. And we were talking about focusing on getting more conversations with the right kinds of supporters or companies usually leads to, paradoxically, more money than if you just chase the money and try and pursue people trying to get money. Within that, then, how do you do it? Well, idea one we briefly talked about was just find a way. If you tune into that as the smart thing, the easiest way in a way is just to pick up the phone more bravely and more often. And I shared a couple of examples of that. But assuming sometimes that is not for you and that you're having an off day or there's reasons why for this kind of supporter, it just absolutely is the wrong approach. Then the second idea I talked about was if they're existing supporters, as Linda does, uh, could you send them a text to request that conversation or WhatsApp or um, LinkedIn, social media? Are there some other channels by which you could request the conversation? And then the third idea we talked about was, could you create inspiring events in this point in time? Probably they're going to be virtual events where the objective is not to ask for money, but the objective is to ask them or interest them in having a follow up conversation with you. The fourth idea we talked about was completely different way of achieving the same objective, which was Neil at Earthwatch, writing letters, inviting people to, to agree to share their story. Again, you don't need to do it with a means of a letter, you could use any of the other channels to request people be, being willing to share their story with you. Uh, the fifth uh, one was how could you make it uh, some kind of more fun, easy to focus on game. For instance, um, I talked about Cupper and Conversation Bingo that uh, Dan and his colleagues got such great results with. The sixth idea uh, was um, inspired by what Jobs did to, to um, find an easier or more creative way to more likely connect and get the result. Gail used that and uh, clearly sending cat pictures is unlikely necessary to help you with your cause, but how could you do your version of Gail uh, getting some kind of ideas or answers because of the, the jobs example? And the seventh idea, um, just really a, a simpler 
easier nudge that's easier for someone to say yes to. I mentioned that uh, Leanne has got great results by sending existing supporters a calendar invite to request to, to come to request a conversation rather than sending an email. So there you have it. A whistle stop tour through seven ways that you can get more conversations with your high value supporters, be they trusts, major donors or corporates. I hope it was helpful. Clearly, there is so much more to high value and corporate fundraising than just this element of how you get the ball rolling and build momentum in your pipeline, where these relationships are really starting to get warmer. There's so much more to it. Not least, what are you going to say when you get to that conversation? (laughs) Even when you need to write a proposal, how can you make that much more persuasive? How do you handle all of the internal politics of persuading your colleagues to work with you to, to be the charity that's more worthy of major donor support or corporate support? There are many other challenges to succeeding in this space, I agree. So I don't want to make light of those things. But nevertheless, I hope that today's episode may just have given you a couple of ideas and even a a little bit more fire in your belly to take certain action and try things slightly differently. If you would like to find out more and go into more depth on these subjects, then, uh, like I say, uh, we're very excited to have just launched the new Corporate Partnerships Mastery Programme and Major Gifts Mastery Programme. They're going to start in the again in the October of 2020, and they'll run for six months combination of training and uh, individual one-to-one coaching and access to lots and lots of training films and live live Zoom coaching in the Brightspot Club. Those packages are starting in October. And at the time of uh, recording this uh, podcast, there is the best ever early bird discount we've ever offered on those mastery programs. So do check out the information on my website. So if you want to find out more about those programs, how they're made up, what kind of results we can help you to get, then do head on over to www.brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash services and then click on either Major Gifts Mastery Programme or Corporate Partnerships Mastery Programme. If nothing else, if you're just curious, just send me a message. I'd love to chat to you and answer any questions you've got about how those programs work. And like I say, the early bird discount is well worth having if you're able to be quick um, from, from the time you hear this podcast. And then I'll put in the episode notes on my website the links to the various things I've mentioned today, including um, the book called Obliquity and the blog that about Dan McNally's Cuppa and Conversation technique and a couple of other podcast episodes that I've mentioned today. Thank you so much to those of you who've been uh, sharing on these episodes of the podcast with your colleagues. I'm really grateful for that because it means we can help more and more people. So if you're able to do that, that would be wonderful. And if you want to get in touch with me on social media, the best ones to use are LinkedIn and Twitter. I'm at Woods underscore Rob on Twitter. And finally, thank you so much for making time to listen today. I hope it was helpful. Best of luck with your fundraising and I look forward to catching up with you on another episode of the podcast next time.